haven't been married the longest. Randall and Sarah's been 67. And some, uh, yeah, back here, the old, the old man. With the old man with a young wife over here. Been putting him up with him. So, But marriage is what we've been talking about the past two weeks. Because it's such an important deal. I'm going to get right down here and just read right in your face. And so, um, you know, marriage is one of those things that's real close to me that I think we're hurting so much in this world today. Because I grew up in a generation where I saw strong marriages and I saw people put up with a lot, but then I saw... It, the breakdown of marriages too. Uh, born in the 50s and growing up through the 60s and 70s, we begin to see a transition. And part of that is ongoing today because most of us learn about marriages from our parents and our grandparents. Would you agree with that? Uh, so you, you learn by example of what's in front of you. So as marriage begin to break down, then that next generation, their example is not as good as the one before. And then the third generation is even worse because we begin to see marriages falling apart easier and easier every year. And, uh, and I try to think, well, what was the reason behind it and, and stuff? And, and I guess some scientists could probably put a pencil on it. But what I saw in my life that probably changed most in all of it was the lack of this in marriages. Um, in the 60s, for a man and woman to get divorced, it was, it was difficult. Uh, you had to prove reason, cause, go through all kinds of things. There was a waiting period. The lawyers were expensive. They probably got $30 an hour back then and stuff, but you only made 4 or $5 an hour. But it, it was expensive. It was something hard to do. And then there was a certain amount of, of uh, guilt because of it, because it didn't work, because you had seen so many doing it. But today, it's the flip side. It's almost like, Everybody's been through one or two or three or four, and the rarity are those that's been married 60 years and, and, and more, and it's harder and harder. So what I'm kind of after is through all this that we're doing this month is to strengthen our relationships. And so I thought what's best is always we ought to look and see what the the God that created us, what does he think about marriage? Because if, if we as humans have messed it up so much and we've had all these bad examples and everything, maybe we ought to get back to looking and seeing what God thinks about it and how God has created the man and the woman and gave them certain characteristics. And maybe if we line back up with God on that, we can turn this thing around. Because it, we're, we're just not headed in a good direction. Not the direction God would want us to be. And, and, and so part of our job as a church is to try to, to address this and let's get back into the Word. 
and, and begin to see what God thinks about that so that wherever you are in your marriages, you can grow beyond that and you can begin to build upon that, that aspect of that. So even if you're in a second, third, or fourth marriage, at least maybe we can make that one better so that these kids, when they grow up, will have an example of a happy marriage. Would you agree with that? I mean, do we not need to stop? Because if we don't, we're just going to fall further and further into disarray, and and and, and it's just going to be chaos. And I don't know about you, uh, but I, my grandkids, they're way sweeter than my kids ever were. I mean, my, you know, my grandkids, they're, they're top-notch. And, and if they're so good, I think my great-grandkids are going to be exactly that. They're going to be great. And I want them to grow up in a situation where they can have a, a good spouse to share life with and to go through the good times and the bad times and, and, and stuff. And, and uh, I'm losing everybody. i got to get back to the chair where I know where you're sitting. But yesterday with Sherry and Butch, I mean, I, I've known Butch for over 25 years, and, uh, and I've watched them, and I've seen them in, in their life. And so nearly half their married life, I've, I've known them and been around them, and, and I watched that, and it wasn't all good. I mean, they both went through some things back then. Uh, there you are. You went through cancer right after, about the time Butch broke his back. About the same time, your barn collapsed with an ice storm. I had to kill your horse. <laughs> I've been on her list ever since. But, but there was so much going on. But weren't you glad you had a, a, a mate that you trusted and loved and could go through that together with? And so we, we need to do that. So let's go to the book of Ephesians. Some of you are not going to like some of this, what I'm going to tell you, but, but I'm here to tell you Paul's not the only one that wrote about this and, and do this. Peter did too. So both of them were on the same page on this. So Ephesians, we're going to be in chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. So if you had not got your Bible, Caleb's got it up there for you. <clears throat> Ladies, he begins the chapter with you in mind. Okay? Men, you think you've got it made, don't you? Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh-oh. Now, that's where men like to mess up. We like that first part. But we tend to want to overlook as to the Lord. And therefore, we think, wives, you need to be my slave and do whatever I tell you to do. That's not what God is telling you. But He is saying, women, you need to be surrendered over to your husband who's going to provide the leadership. Because this goes all the way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve. And part of, part of uh, the, the, the curse of sinfulness 
God told Eve, your desire will be towards your husband. So God's already created you and put you in that, partly because of the characteristics he's given to you. Because he's given you characteristics of compassion and love and mercy. And and those type of uh, caring attitudes and characteristics cause you to make decisions more on the emotional side than the rational side because you tend to your love and that that compassion leads out so when God gave you that he has a purpose he wanted to join you with a man so that the compassion mercy and grace enters into the family so that it will work in a balance to offset the characteristics God's given the man which was in that leadership which we'll get to in a little bit But he says right here, verse 23, he said, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Now my wife will tell you that I am the head of our family. But Barbara, what do you tell them? (laughs) I might as well get that on out there. But without the the brains of the family, the neck would never move. But but God has created us and the men to be the head of the house. Now, guys, step up right here. Head of the house doesn't mean you're the king and the wife's supposed to wait on you. It means you're supposed to make leadership decisions. You're supposed to be leading out in all aspects of the family. Not shoving everything off to the wife. Just because you go to a job doesn't mean that she has to do everything. The head of the house means you're providing direction for a family. Especially in the realm of walking with God. Okay? Too many times the men say, well, I'm going to lead and I'll do this and that. But when it comes to the kids going to church, well... You take them and go on, and I'm going to stay here and work on this. If you want your children to grow up knowing God, then, guys, you've got to step out and be that head because they're watching you, especially your sons, and they're going to mimic what you do. So if you've got an excuse not to walk with God, don't be surprised one day if they look up and they've got one too. And mom's begging them and dragging them and they're crying and screaming and they're saying, I want to stay with daddy. And dad, you drag them screaming and saying, you're going with daddy and we're going to church. So that you grow up knowing who the Lord is. So wives should be subject to the husbands. But it's easier for the wife to be subject to the husband when he is leading the household in the matters of the spiritual realm. Okay? It's a lot easier for the woman to do that, and, and that's what makes a lot of our marriages work so well, and for the wife to give in to that because she knows that you're thinking in the spiritual realm and, and you're following what God's leading you to do. And I've drugged Barbara all over the country. I've quit jobs, and we've done mission work. I've went to seminary. I, I went to churches, and she always get on. You never ask them what you're going to pay. I said, I'm just going to trust God. She said, I want a number. 
as a number would be whatever it was. I, I didn't think about those things, and, and I probably should have a little more, but she was always faithful to do that and, and support it because she knew God was directing our path. And it meant she knew I was being held accountable by God. So the balance is you want your wife to be submissive as to the Lord. Then husband, you be the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. So what is what is Christ, what has he done for the church? What has he done for you? What's the first thing he did? He died on the cross so your sins could be forgiven. So he shed his blood for you and he loved you so much that he left heaven to come down and to take on a physical body and to be beaten and, and, and spit upon and everything else, shamed publicly and then nailed on a cross so that you, the church, could be redeemed and brought back into fellowship with God. So that means you ought to love your family enough to do whatever it takes to make sure they have what they need. And laying on the couch watching football games is not always it. There's nothing wrong with laying on the couch and watching a football game. As long as it doesn't interfere with the duties of the family. So guys, God's given you this responsibility. He's going to hold you responsible for that. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. A lot of y'all have worked horses and stuff and been around. When you break a horse to ride or to work, do you take away his strength? You're not taking away his strength. He's going to be just as strong as he was when he was in the wild, if not stronger. But what he does is surrenders under your leadership so that you can take that horse or mule or whatever I had to get John in here because he understands mules. But they have to come into that where you're guiding and directing them. And so, ladies, you're not giving up your strength. You're giving up that freedom that you had as a single individual to help the marriage because you need both of you. But somebody's got to give up a little bit so that head can be there. So encourage the husband. Don't drag him back. Don't put him down. Because I've seen that with some women. The husband did everything wrong. Or just You just can't do anything right. Well, first of all, you're discouraging him to be the head of the house. A lot of guys will say, well, wife, she just nags at me all the time. Sometimes it's deserved, sometimes it's not. But we need to encourage each other. And part of the role of the wife is to be that encourager to the husband. To do better. To, to take that role. Step out and lead this household. And if you do that, then it's, she's going to be more willing to do it. So wives, there's a give and take here. You're not giving up your strength. You're enhancing the strength and trying to encourage the man to step out 
I'm trying to encourage your husband to step out and be that also. Because I want your marriage to work. But there's got to be one person that's leading. Alright? And God's chosen the man to be that. Now let me give you the flip side of that. You think, well, I wished I was ahead. If God's given the man the head of the family, he's also going to hold him more accountable than he the rest of you. In other words, he's going to give an account for what he does or doesn't do when he stands before God. And if his children have gone astray because the man's failed in that responsibility, then God's not going to look at the wife. He's going to look at the husband. He's going to say, you messed up. You didn't do your role, and that's why this turned out this way. Well, what about her? He's going to remind you of this scripture. You're to be the head of the household, not her. She was supposed to bring the compassion, the love, and the mercy in there. She's supposed to bring that aspect to the family. You were supposed to provide the leadership. Because with more responsibility given, more accountability is held there. So we need to understand that as men, that God's going to do that. Verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. What would, I've been married now for over 45 years. And um, I can't imagine anything that would keep me from trying to protect her. Because she's my wife. You mess with her, you mess with me. I, I, I've got one of her brothers, I still have a hard time getting along with today because he got all over her one day. Luckily, I didn't find him. Lucky for one of us, I didn't find him. Because he sent her home crying well after me and her had been married for years. That didn't do well with me. You mess with her, you mess with me. And, and I might forget I'm a preacher. There's a good possibility I'm going to forget I'm a preacher because you done got into my territory there. Now, I may argue with her, and I may say something to her, but don't you dare, and don't you lay a hand on her. Because I love her with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul. And she's a gift, and she's been a blessing. And I'd hope you husbands would think that about your spouse. And that's why date nights are important for you to do every now and then. The first one in January is free. The rest of them's on you. All right? That's why I tell you one of my pet peeves bothers me when you go out together on a date night and the man is 20 feet in front of the other one. Or if you go to Ollie's and one goes one way and the other goes the other. Uh-huh. Did that get brought up once? One goes to the candy store and Spending some time together, even though you might not like it, push the buggy behind them and say, yes, dear, looks good. You get through, then now let's go over here in my section. Thank you. Somebody was listening. 
But have you ever watched that? I mean, you go to 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 some big store or like Atwoods or something, and the guy, boy, he's going in there. He my my toy store's here, and he his wife's dragging up the rear. Well, what if she fell or somebody kidnapped her? He wouldn't know it till he got through shopping. Guys, you want her to treat you like a king? Well, walk up there and hold her hands. Open the door for her. If you treat her like a queen, she's more apt to treat you like a king. You treat her like a stranger, she's going to treat you like one too. So love your wife. What if Jesus treated you the way you treat your spouse? Huh? When you cry out in prayer, you do uh, you want Jesus to hear you? Or you think he's all busy playing golf or hunting or fishing or something? I ain't got time for you today. I'm busy. Man, when I go to the Lord in prayer, I, I'm, I'm wanting some attention right then. I need him to hear me because usually there's something I need to know. But the same way with the wife. You need to treat her with a little respect. You need to love her. And you need to show her that same compassion that Jesus shows you. Now that's what that's what Paul wrote. Is that not true? Is that is that clear? And y'all see that? Husband, love your wife just as Christ has loved the, also loved the church and gave himself for verse twenty six, so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water and by, with the word. Because that's what he did for us. When you, That's why I love that song, Washed by the Blood. I almost stopped Charles right there when we got through that and said, I want to preach on this. Let me tell you this with just a little interjection. Uh, Jesus Christ gave every drop of blood he had so that every sin that you had could be washed away. Every sin you've got, every sin you'll commit. He gave every drop of his blood so that could be happened. And all he asks of you is put your faith and trust in him. Believe that he did that for you and that he went to the grave and was buried and raised on the third day so that you could have everlasting life. That's what the scripture says. He's washed you. He's atoned for you. He's paid the price. And then in, and Paul wrote in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever, whatever you've done because of that blood. So that's what he's saying here. When Guys, we need to do, have that same mindset by, by helping our wife, that, that same cleansing. We need to be there to help them and lead them and guide them and give them some direction. It's just a perfect example of what God's done for us and what His Son did for us. So we should bring into the family structure. Because you're created in God's image. The family was created in the image of God. And it's exactly how God looks at you as the church. You're not the church. You're His body. You're His family. You're His flesh. If you're going to live with him forever, it's not an individual. Although you'll have an individual body. You're not an individual. You're part of the kingdom. You're part of the kingdom. You're part of the family of God. By the spirit of adoption, you've been 
you can cry, Abba, Father. You've been brought into the family. And that's what the family struggle. We're just a miniature kingdom there so that we can raise our children up in a place to respect their elders, their father, their mother, and to love them. And then when you do that, you're going to teach them how to be a better husband, a better mother, a better worker within the church. Oh, Quinn, she's just learning so much. Just <clears throat> time she's 12, she'll have her own band up here and she'll be directing it. Bashfulness is not in her vocabulary. But she's also very talented and very willing. And so are a lot of our other kids. And that's what I want. I hope that's what you want. I want my grandkids to serve the Lord because their parents are serving the Lord. And there's a good chance they for God to, to, to magnify and glorify himself throughout the world. My family is around the world. And a lot, well, some of them are. I had some further off and they brought them back home. But, but I've got them in Serbia right now that's impacting Europe ministering to college students right now and and four of my grandkids are over there and they don't know any better than just do the same thing they witness they go out they they do things and so when they get grown i'm excited to see what god does with them because that's my legacy that's my legacy that when i die and leave this earth what physical things i have will will rot and corrode and stuff but when I stand up there before the Lord and I look back, He's going to be showing me what my grandkids are doing. Look at them, winning people to the Lord, singing and praising and making a difference and teaching. And whatever they're doing, they're doing it in the name of the Lord. Now, folks, that's one of the greatest things a guy could ever look at. But it means you have to start when they're little. You have to start when they're babies, teaching them, training them. You see that big ugly one back there on my left on and stuff? <clears throat> he was six weeks old when he went on his first mission trip. He wasn't much help, but he was there, <laughs> cried and wailed and all that. But he went on a mission trip, and he's been on a hundred of them since. I wasn't about to mission, miss a trip to minister just because he was born. Doctor let us take him home. I guess he can go somewhere else. It didn't hurt him. Got pictures of him in Oklahoma carrying a sawhorse, and the sawhorse was bigger than he was. But all my kids have been part of the ministry ever since I got saved. And it's been good for them and it's good for me. And I'm telling you, it'd be good for your kid. You get them involved in church and they will bless you. You keep them up here even when you don't want to come because that's part of the families. Mm. Verse 29, Caleb. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. 
right here is probably the biggest breakdown in marriages today. We don't love our spouse as much as we love self. We're very self-centered, selfish individuals coming into a marriage and not willing to be a part. So we, we tear down or set aside our spouse to put our needs first. Now that's what the world has taught you. So don't feel too bad. That's what you've been taught. Is Some of us are old enough to remember Slits commercial. See, see, life is short. Grab all the gusto. You're old enough. What did it say? Get all the gusto you could. You didn't have to drink it to remember, but they ever, you could advertise it on TV. Get all the gusto and stuff, you know. The, the Marlboro man, y'all remember him? Boy, he was young and healthy, just riding a horse and all that. And they didn't show you 30 years later and being slumped over and coughing and couldn't breathe. But that's, that, that was the characteristics coming out of the, the 60s. His life is short, so just grab all you can while you can. There was an old saying that Get all you can while you can, and then kick over the can. You know, just get all, just go after everything. That was a selfish mentality, and it's even worse today with the me generation. Poor way is me. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. You're a victim because you want to be a victim. Man, we were all victims at one time. I was a victim of my dad and mom's abuse every time daddy beat me with that belt. I was a victim. But the thing was, I deserved every one of them. He was shaping my mentality, and he started at the bottom and worked his way up. <laughs> we need a little more of that, right, teachers? We, there wasn't a big discipline problem at Paul Pewitt back in the 70s. You might get by with a little bit, but when you get caught, it, it, there was something applied in the right area, and it wasn't going to damage your brain. But we've thrown all that out, and we tell them, oh, poor woe is me. What'd your mama or daddy do wrong to you? And we're talking to 40-year-olds. <laughs> Let's blame it on mama and daddy or your grandparents or Woe is me, you grew up in a bad neighborhood. Naples was a bad neighborhood for us. We was all broke. <laughs> one wealthy person moved in one time. He said, I can't stay here. You're all poor folks. But you know what? We didn't know it. My mama would have a heart attack to see some of the blue jeans you people are wearing. She would jerk them off of you right there in that place and put an iron-on patch on it. <laughs> on the inside, she ripped those things apart, strode it on it. There ain't going to be one on the outside. Now we sell them for 100 bucks, you know. I could have claimed being a victim. Randall Raines put me to work when I was 11 years old, paid me a dollar an hour. I loved every minute of it because I was driving a tractor. 
Folks, this, this me mentality is a, it's a lie straight from the pits of hell. Your life will be what you make it. I don't care how bad or how poor or how bad you are. You, you're going to do what you desire to do. If you want to be a victim, you choose to be a victim and you'll be one the rest of your life. If you want to rise above it, you've got the capability of trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll take you above it. But you, you've got to make up your mind to get out of that. But that's why families are failing. We're selfish, self-centered, and we're forgetting God, and then we want to complain and whine and think the government's going to bail us out. Any of you know where the government gets its money? If you don't, look at your paycheck when you get that thing, and they say, deductions. You say, where did that, who, who's getting these deductions? Uh-huh, they are. Who's, who's receiving those deductions? The ones that are sitting over there not doing anything and they're drawing that check. Now there's some assistance needs to be out there, but folks, there's a reason why 10 million jobs are unfulfilled today. Because there's 10 million folks not working. Boy, I know I stepped on a few toes in. Y'all know If you're not doing one of them, you know somebody that is. But you see, when you get this selfish mentality, you carry that into your family. You begin to destroy your family structure. Then you begin to destroy society. Then you destroy the next generation because they're going to do even more of that. And then they're going to cry this victim. That's the reason where we're at because it started 50 years ago of moving downhill. When we did one thing, we took God out of school, we took God out of society, we took God out of the family, and we quit doing things God's way. So the only cure for all this mess we've got is God's got to come back and be number one in your life. All right? That's the cure. That's, that's going to solve America's problem when churches begin to be filled up like there's over 175 of you here. So we must be doing something right. You're wanting something. You're wanting something, and that something is you want to know more about Jesus Christ in your life, and you're going to find it right here. You may not always like it, but I promise you, if you apply it to your life, it will make a difference, and you'll begin to be victorious in lots of areas of your life, and you'll be again to move forward, and, and especially you young parents. We got a 3,000 square foot building over just waiting for kids. Caleb trained 10 or 12 workers yesterday because they want to invest in your children. I hope we get 10 or 12 more before the year's out so that we've got so many kids over there. I want to see some type of ministry there and we're debating between a full-time daycare or starting out with maybe a two-day daycare this fall so that we make a difference because we're going to try to put God back in the middle of these families and when we do that here it will change out here when we change out there it changes at school up there instead of having cops running around up there all the time we never had a police officer at 
Paul Pugh. And I promise you, there was a lot of guns and knives up there. A lot of them. In the back window. We didn't hide them. Door unlocked. Dare somebody to get my gun. I've been in many a fist fight up there and only one time ever had a knife pulled on me. Because he was a low life. The rest of us just fought it out and then got up and said, okay, it's over. But now we have to worry about six-year-olds. This blows my mind, Ron. A six-year-old brought a gun and then shot his teacher? Man, I thought my first grade teacher was the best thing there ever was next to my mama. Boy, she was sweet as she could be. Loved on me, cared about me, and taught me things. I, I, how did we get there? We threw this away. We threw this away. Y'all got to understand this about Satan. Satan doesn't move quickly. He understands he has time. So what he does, he tears down one generation just a little bit. Because he knows the next generation, if he takes this from this one, I can get a little more next time. And then I, I get on over and I, and I really start pulling away a little more because once I've started taking things away, I can get a bigger chunk because I'm getting them away from that rock-solid relationship with God. And the further He gets you away, then all of a sudden you can't see the security in God. Then He can do whatever He wants to with you. He didn't, I mean, the things we see today would have never happened 50 years ago. They would be unheard of. Unheard of. Criminals having more rights than the victims? Unheard of. But see, he's just took a little bit every every year, every 10 years, just take a little bit more and a little more. And that's why some of you are struggling in your marriage is because we didn't stop it 50 years ago. We let it happen. So to a certain degree, you are a victim, but not after today because I'm trying to tell you how to fix your marriage so that you can be married 60, 70 years. At least 50. You may not live to be 60. But get some, get, hey, get as much life out of that investment as you can. I don't know about you. I don't know about today. But I started buying her supper a long time ago i've got a lot of money invested in her i'm going to keep her she was a cheap date we'd go taco tico i didn't know how lucky i had it five dollar bill and we could eat like kings now she wants to go taco tico and i don't i said i don't want to go but you know what we've had a good life because Shortly after I got married, within four or five years, I got saved. And I'm going to tell you, that's what saved my marriage. Because if I hadn't got saved in 1982, 
my marriage probably would have went down the same path that a lot of yours has been down. But I got saved. Jesus became number one in my life. He became number one in my family's life. And because of him, my marriage has survived. Because he changed this old heart. He changed this old mind. And he taught me to not be so selfish and self-centered because I was guilty of the things I've talked to you about. I've done that. Work, work, work. If my wife and kids want to see me, when I wasn't working at the coal mine, I'd be out somewhere brush hogging. They would have to come see me where I was at. I thought a man ought to work 20 hours a day and sleep for four. I've been guilty. And on that seventh day, when you finished graveyard, you stayed up all day and worked all day because you are going to sleep that night. Folks, I was stealing from my wife and from my one child at the time. And they were on their way out the door, and I didn't even know it. But God got a hold of me, turned that around. I only want to work 16 hours a day now, you know. And I'm up here. I'm still a workaholic. She knows that. I work six, seven days a week because there's always something to do. But I've invested in the Lord. And I've invested. And I spent a couple of hours with her yesterday afternoon. And I'm going to spend an hour this afternoon before I'm back up here with my elders planning for the rest of the year. But we, we make it work. And that's why I do hold her hand. Didn't I, Nancy? Mm -hmm. We went on a date Friday night and we went and bought stuff for the church. But I followed her. We did our stuff. But guys, ladies, your marriage will be what you decide to make it. You want it to last, then you invest in it. And you follow this, and you'll you'll have a pretty good marriage. It won't always work out. It takes both of you. you if one's invested in the other and not, then it won't work. Let me tell you one more bit of advice that a guy told me a long time ago. He said, marriage is like a bank account. He said, you need to invest a lot of good over here because every now and then you're going to make a withdrawal. And he said, if your withdrawal is more than what you've invested in, you go into default. I began to think about that. I thought, mm-hmm. I need lots of good to cover up for one bad because there's going to be a bad thing come every now and then. And that's, that's your withdrawal. And you could easily overdraw your account if you've not been invested in it. Does that make a little sense? So invest in that relationship. Invest in that on a, a, a basis on both sides of it so that when you do mess up, you still got a balance in there to carry on. And then double up and start to build it back up. Because if you're overdrawn in that relationship, 
it's doomed to fail. Might not the first time, and might not the second time, but it's on its way out. So invest some positive things into that relationship, and you'll be money ahead. Okay? And then maybe when you get to the end of your life or your spouse's life and you're sitting there, you can rejoice and thank them for being there and for the gift they were through everything that you've been through. Because that's what they are. They're a gift that you're investing in. That's why I want it to work. Anybody want to sign up now? The list is over there. Because I want it to work. But anyway, marriage is important. Even as a grandparent or great-grandparent, it's important. Because you're investing in those kids' lives. And sometimes you'll be the only thing that'll hold them together. Because the world's going to try to tear it apart. Because Satan does not like marriage. Because it makes you stronger. It makes the church stronger. makes the community stronger. makes the nation stronger. So you guys, you young guys, when y'all go out with a girl, she, you better treat her like she might be your spouse. Because if you don't, you'll live to regret it. And I promise you in a little community, you mistreat one of them when you're young, it may come back to haunt you because uh, you may be called to preach and they come and right here in the middle of your congregation and stuff. So, you know, you never know. But treat them with some respect. Girls, all you young girls, you deserve to be treated with respect. You respect yourself, and you expect boys to treat you with the respect that you deserve. And if they ever say, if you love me, then get out of the car and go home right then. You got cell phones, call somebody. Because if love does not have stipulations, okay? If you love me, you can fill in the blank on that. But if you love me, no. If you love me, you will listen to me and be a part. It doesn't mean you do something. Love is a, a sharing thing, and that's a part of it. Okay? Father, we thank you for the love that you have, which is a pure and holy love. A love that the only way we can understand it is by knowing who you are, reading your word, and seeing how you've shown that love throughout your scriptures. And I pray that would be the kind of love we would have for each other as a husband and wife. And then that love would flow through us, a love that's patient, pure, holy, sharing an unselfish type of love so that our marriages will be strong, our homes will be strong, and our children will be able to mimic that same type of relationship. 
Thank you for the word that you've given us. Readily available so anytime we need to read and study more on it, we can. But I pray for every young family that's here that's beginning this process, whether a year or 10 years, 15, 20 years. I pray for those of us who have been married 40 years or plus that we still work at it because we want these relationships to last forever so that our children and grandchildren will have an example in front of them that's positive and they know that they can have that same thing. So bless our families, Father, by guiding and directing us. And we're going to give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all go home and work on your family a little bit. Figure out what you want to do next Saturday and come up here. 625.